Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor. Come alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. It's a great joy and honor of mine today to interview the president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Dr. Jason Allen. Dr. Allen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a delight to be on the podcast with you and uh, thankful for the time together. Absolutely. Well, let's pray. And I got several questions for you, some serious, some less serious, but I think we'll, we'll have some fun. Let's, let's pray first and go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for Dr. Allen and for the work that you have done through him and so much work that I've been able to just reap benefits from and people in our church have been able to be reap benefits from. So I just thank you for him, uh, his family and all that you're doing through him. I, I just ask that you would lead this discussion. I trust that you're going to. And uh, as always, I just ask that you would point us to Christ during this time in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. For those who may not know who you are, would you please uh, just tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your family, and then what it is that you, what you do. Yeah, happily so, Jared. Thank you for asking. My name is Jason Allen. I am about to start my eighth year as president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and Spurgeon College in Kansas City, Missouri, one of the six Southern Baptist seminaries. I was, before coming here, I lived and served in the Louisville, Kentucky kind of area for 11 years that began as an MDiv student at Southern Seminary, then drifted into PhD studies at Southern Seminary. Of those 11 years, I, I served on staff at Southern for about six and a half years, give or take, and then about, about four years of pastoring a church in the broader Louisville area, and then a, another five and a half years while I was serving full-time at Southern, uh, serving another church kind of bivocationally as interim and then as teaching pastor for a few years. So churchman, uh, also a man who loves and given to theological education. So over the years, God has given me a, a sweet wife named Karen, five children, Anne-Marie, Caroline, William, Alden, and Elizabeth. They are now ages 16, 15, 14, uh, 12, and 11. When we came here, they were ages 9 to 4, so I'm getting wow. to watch them grow up on the campus here, which is a, a profound source of personal delight. Uh, that's kind of who I am. I'm from Mobile, Alabama. Uh, my wife is as well. We met down there. I, I became a believer my freshman year in college. Grew up in a sports home, a kind of a conservative, middle-class, Southern Baptist family. Though I had heard the gospel from my, my pastor, Fred Wolf, from my home church, I did not actually follow Christ until my freshman year in college. And then throughout college, really wrestled with the call to ministry. And then my junior year, really began to pursue that call to ministry. Left my college basketball team to pursue ministry. Hmm. Served a three-year stint with Steve Lawson as assistant to the pastor when he was at Dolphin Baptist Church in Mobile, which was really formative for me in preaching and my call to ministry. And I left Dolphin Way to go to seminary, and, uh, and here I am. So delighted okay. to be here, glad to be on the podcast with you. Yeah, fantastic. Well, before we get into the uh, the real serious stuff, I have a, a really important question about your your past in basketball. I, I'm really interested to know what the best game in game dunk you ever had was. Tell us your your memory of that. You know, Jared, <laughs> it's funny. I can like immediately remember that. Okay, and uh, okay. that says something bad and warped about me. I know, but <laughs> but the fact that I can remember like how many points I scored in every game I ever played, but have to struggle remembering my kid's birthday. That, that's not a choice I make. I, I don't right. choose. Think that way 
but just my own pedigree and background and my wiring. So it's funny you ask, and I'll elaborate perhaps a touch more than you or your listeners care to know, but uh, I, I remember as an eighth grader was when I was like officially touching the rim and the ninth grade, like kind of dunking tennis balls and a volleyball. And then like the end of my ninth grade year, dunking a basketball, then my sophomore year, like dunking, my junior year, like dunking in games, my senior year in high school, dunking kind of in games all the time. So I'm going to go back to my senior year in high school. Okay. And uh, we had, we were the number one ranked team in the state for much of my senior year. And we, we, we had a, a home game that, that was, we were really beating a team and this was early in the season. So I was dunking and I went to like a very small private school. So okay. to have a, kind of a six foot six, six foot seven guy that's really dunking a lot, that was not common. Okay. So we had an inbounds play where I called an alley-oop and, and jammed on like three of their players. And it, it was like the gym just exploded. And it was like, it just kind of like reframed the whole season. Like, okay, we're like legit this year. We're going to make a run at the state championship. This is basketball unlike we're accustomed to seeing this gym. Yeah. Well, then to, uh, to kind of bookend that was in the state, state final tournament. Uh, it was a similar scenario. It was a really flexible in the game, fourth quarter. The same play, inbounds play, I called an alley-oop and, and jammed it. And, uh, and it was a real turning point in the game. We, we won the game, and nice. kind of the gym just exploded. Literally, the camera guy filming the game dropped the camcorder. Oh. Uh, again, back when you were, you know, back when they carried those bazooka-like, you know, camcorders, right. yeah. dropped the camcorder. So anyway, I know that's more than you care to hear, but the fact that I can immediately answer, you know, the, the, yeah. the most horrible dunk of my life, but I, but I can't probably tell you, you know, the exact birthday of my fourth child. There's something wrong with that. <laughs> oh, I love it. I grew up, eat, I ate, drank, slept sports, and played basketball through high school, and and uh, I did, didn't get any offers to play college ball, but I was one of those journeyman intramural players in college. And so just got a lot of sports memories. So I love hearing that. I love it. So thanks for the thanks for the detail in that. Well, you said that you've been at Midwestern now for eight years and you have seen some tremendous growth. And I'm just curious what that's been like for you as you've got, been able to sit in the president's chair and watch the work of God. What has that been like for you as the president? Uh, it's been exhilarating. It's been surprising. It's been profoundly rewarding hmm. uh, and, and much more. So when I came, the seminary had about 1,100, 1,200 students. And my like big ambitious dream and institutional goal was from 2012 to 2020, if we could go from 1,200 students to like approaching 2,000. Okay. And that wasn't based upon anything empirical about the seminary or obvious growth potential. And if you know much about theological education or, or even higher education, all the headwinds are there. So it wasn't mm -hmm. even like, you know, we can do this, the winds are back. It was like, no, for us to have a sustainable business model, we need to be closer to 2000 than 1000. Mm -hmm. Then God began to bless and we began to work and we began to pray and God continued to bless. And we kind of went from, you know, 1200 to 1500, 1800 to, to I remember when 2000 was this incredible milestone. Yeah. And 2500 was this incredible milestone. And then 3000 was this monster milestone. And then 3500 last year mm -hmm. was this monster milestone. And now, uh, the dust is still settling on the past academic year, but we're landing, you know, basically right at 4,000 wow. students we had this past year. Incredible. So, so for me, it's been, um, again, it's been exhilarating. It's been, it's been surprising mm -hmm. and it's been profoundly rewarding. Wow. That's incredible. You know, you came in with this, this vision and vision is a little bit of a scary word for me as I serve in the pastorate. I have a Pentecostal background, went okay. to school at, down in Tennessee and Trinitarian Pentecostal background. 
And one of the things there in the pastorate, there, there was, they had their prophets. And, and what I've noticed is that Southern Baptist or in just in the Baptist non-denominational world, we may not have our prophets, but we have our visionaries. And vision can be this quirky thing where uh, it, can begin, it can begin to be a mallet if used wrongly instead of shepherding the sheep, you know, gathering the sheep and demanding that they get behind my vision. But you came in with this biblical vision that's uniquely different, I think because it's so tied to the scriptures, but for the church, I heard it. I've been coming, my wife and I, to the, the conference. This is the first year we missed and I think five years or four years. Uh, could you explain what it was and what it is about the For the Church vision that, so, that, that just gets so many people to throw their fist up and say, yeah, I'm go- we're going with you? Yeah, so let me reflect for a moment here with you. It, part of it's autobiographical. Part of it, okay. I believe, is theological. Um, first of all, I'll make a confession. I have a love-hate relationship with the whole kind of leadership industry. Uh, I have more of a hate in, in, in relationship. Yeah, right, right, right. No, I, I get it, believe me. I have a, I have a love-hate relationship with the genre, the industry, the books, the magazines, the conference, the podcasts. Um, the hate is, I think, it's been commercialized. It's been over-torqued. I mean, Winston Churchill like, never went to a leadership conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles de Gaulle probably never read a leadership book. I mean, you go around, you know, George Washington, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Charles Spurgeon, pretty much any, any section of life in, from any era in the past, the great leaders did not think intentionally about personal leadership development, okay? Mm-hmm. You, you contrast that reality with the fact that now we have this whole leadership industry. <laughs> we might call it the leadership industrial complex, but it seems as though there's a dearth of actual leaders out there. Mm. I've said all that at the same time. Look, I read a ton of leadership books. I do. Right. I listen to a couple of podcasts that are thematically oriented toward leadership. So I'm a consumer. I'm a reader. I, I try to even contribute to this, to this, to this, to this territory. So there's a love-hate relationship there. Uh, I'll tell you a little funny story. The first church I went to pastor, um, the very first church in the Louisville area, I was the first, like my first full-time pastor. I was in my mid-20s. And I had this lady in the church who was probably early 50s and would prove to be kind of a, a challenging personality for me. Uh, I remember she said to me, like, what's your vision for the church? What's your vision for the church? And, you know, I'm, like, just there trying to unpack my bags. You know, right. I, maybe I'll, the God will give me a vision. I know we're going to, like, try to fill the Great Commission and we believe the Bible. But as far as a niche customized vision, you know, mm-hmm. you know kind of hold your horses. Right. Well, she's, like, badgering about it for two weeks. And then I, I did not know this, but, but my answers were unsatisfactory. She also happened to have the keys to the church sign. So, like, two weeks in – the church sign, like the Bible verse for the week out front is, where there is no vision, the people perish. <laughs> so uh, oh, that's great. I, I remember thinking that moment, you know, I need to develop a vision. Second of all, I don't think that's what that verse is about. Third of all, I need to retrieve from her the keys to the church sign. Yes, exactly. But uh, so, so coming here, you know, I understand I, I want to lead and I want to, you know, God's called me to lead. For me, I love my time in Louisville at Southern Seminary. I, I, I thought I'd be there long term. If, uh-huh. I, if I did leave, I, I probably thought it'd be more like to pastor than to serve in another institutional setting. Mm-hmm. But what was happening over a period of years is I had these two parallel tracks that were, that were coming together in my, in my own life and heart. Um, one was a love for local church. One was a love for theological education. They both right. were accelerating. They both were merging. And so when God called me to Midwestern and when that interview process began and then when it intensified with the board, I just kept talking about the local church, the local mm-hmm. church. A seminary should be serving the local church. And that vision was resonating with the board. That vision was resonating with the search committee. And so I just told them, here's what we're going to do. That's not going to be like the vision for the first year or the first five years or the first decade. They're like, that's the vision. And my prayer is that it'll go from being you know, my vision to our vision to, to the vision for the seminary. Yeah. 
And we had, I remember one of my early, early weeks here, early months here, I had an early morning breakfast with a um, kind of a communications team that came in town to help us design a new seminary website, a new seminary branding. And like, I knew what I wanted the seminary to, to be about and to do. I just wanted them to like help us build a new website. Mm -hmm. They thought that we wanted them to come in town to spend three days with us to talk about, well, what do we want to do? You know, who do we want to be? How do we want to project our message? And we met for breakfast. It was me and a colleague here, Charles Smith, and, and this team. And, and, and they wanted to begin like a multi-day conversation. I just said, the vision's for the church, like next topic. Mm -hmm. and, and they were like shocked by my, my directness and, and surprised at that. So I said, look, guys, this is like, and I just unpacked my heart for the school. I said, that's what we're going to do. We didn't poll test that. We didn't survey our alumni. You know, that's just, that's what we're going to do because yeah. I believe the scripture in the New Testament in particular is all about the local church, the mm -hmm. mission of the church, the expansion yeah. of the church, healthy churches. And so our right to exist, the logic for seminary is really wedded to uh, our intentionality in serving the local church. So we've been intentional about that. We've been loud about that. We've been persistent about that. And we will continue to be those three things. It's fantastic. So you have this passion for the local church and academia, and you've had to navigate through the years doing bivocational ministry and being in the academic world. How do you how do you balance that? How do you walk in that today? And how did you come to the conclusion? Okay, I'm going to serve and lead in theological education at Midwestern and then still have this love for the church. Do you serve as a, as a local elder at a church or how have you continued to walk in that balance uh, and navigate those two wonderful callings, but two uniquely, uh, I guess you could say different callings. Yeah. Thank you. I, I believe I'm elder qualified as far as first Timothy three, one through seven goes. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here. I, I oh, yeah. don't think I'm elder qualified as far as being able to allocate enough time to actually shepherding a church like day to day, week to week, mm -hmm. ongoingly. Okay. Okay. So the way I balance that is for a number of years here in Kansas City, I, I, I taught a Sunday school class, which was a kind of a, a large Sunday school class. Think of almost like a chapel class. Okay. So when I, when I was not out of town preaching or serving the seminary out of town on the weekends, I was there teaching that class leading that class and giving some shepherding to those people in that class. Uh, what's happened, what, what happened, I guess now about, about two years ago was I served as an, as an interim pastor of a major church, First Baptist Jackson, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Given the stage of my kids, I wasn't there every week. I was there about 30 or so Sundays a year. Okay. That, that lasted about a year and a half. I was deeply embedded there, served that church, enjoyed doing it, loved doing it. The church was great. And God gave us some real gains there. I'm on the backside of that now. And so, mm -hmm. I haven't re-engaged teaching social class. I, I'm certainly still in that church and re-engaged that church. And I'm kind of preaching and serving the church week to week through, through local church preaching, conferences, mm -hmm. and so forth. So I'll tell you, um, Jared, there's a little bit of an evolution, all that. And okay. some of that is like, so what doors is God opening or, or not opening? Mm -hmm. What are needs that I can legitimately meet? What are the, the stages of my life and the ages of my kids? Yeah. Some guys like have the, the ministry of the interim pastor where they just go from one interim to the next, to the next, to the next. That's not really me because of my calling here and the, the stage of life of my children. Mm -hmm. At the same time, for the, the church, First Baptist Jackson, we pursued it. Frankly, my wife and I just spent a good deal of time praying about it, talking about it. I believe God was leading us to do that. We yep. sensed that confirmation on the front end throughout. And now that that's done and we look back on it, we feel very strongly God called us to do it. So hmm. I think you have to ongoingly monitor that. My disposition and my calling is to serve the church, look for mm -hmm. niche opportunities to do that. 
and then since you know where can i make the, the 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 best impact where's the best return on my time from a kingdom standpoint and then looking at what doors is the lord opening uh is there a door i'm trying to kick open well maybe not but is there a, a door the lord is opening well that has to factor into to what i pray about what i consider that's good that's really good uh I, one of the reasons i started the shepherd's crook or the reason i started the shepherd's crook is to care for pastors i'm young i'm a younger man you've got a few years on me now i think you're you're uh are you are you have you hit the 40 mark yet I, you know Allen? jared i regret to inform you i'm 42 actually. you're 42 so, okay so, yeah okay I'm, I'll be, I'm, I'm firmly ensconced in my early 40s. Okay. I'll, I'll, be four, I'll be 36 this month, and my wife found right. two gray hairs on my head yesterday. And uh, I, I'm doing pretty good. I, the 30s have been great for me. Um, but uh, So I've been pastoring now for a few years, but I'm a, I'm a younger man when it comes to helping and, and walking with other pastors. But God has always brought pastors and pastor's wives into my wife and I's life. And I've been fortunate to have a, a group of co-pastors in my church that I get to serve and lead that pastor, my family well. And so I get a lot of care locally. A lot of pastors don't. They're, and we're, in a, we're a Southern Baptist church, and, uh, and we're, God has just really blessed our congregation. And I know a lot of pastors are out there, and they, it's a one-pastor system, and they got a deacon board, but they feel alone. And they're struggling, and they don't know who to talk to when, they're out, when their marriage is struggling, when they're, they've got a deacon that's, that's uh, you know, causing problems, and they don't know how to deal with it. You work with pastors regularly. Let's talk about pastor health. What is the state of pastoral ministry today from your perspective? I mean, that's a, a good question, a big question. I, I think the pendulum has swung and, and is swinging. So, for instance, kind of 40, 50 years ago, the basic expectation was that the average pastor be omnipresent. Okay. Then kind of when I was beginning to sense a call to ministry, the late 1990s, and then a seminary student in the early 2000s, I heard again and again and again in classes, don't sacrifice your family, don't sacrifice your family, your family first. And that's good counsel, very mm -hmm. good counsel. Um, at times, I wonder if, if that pendulum overswung just a touch, because at times it sounds to me like I hear guys kind of hiding behind their families to touch. Mm, yeah, at the good. same time, at the same time, the expectations have changed. So for instance, my first pastor, which I mentioned, I, I preached three times a week for years. Mm -hmm. My second pastor, I preached three times a week for years. Now looking back, that probably wasn't the, the most healthy thing for me to be doing. What is more, it probably wasn't the best use of my time as far as all of those sermon preps. Mm -hmm. But that was just kind of you know, the basic expectation of these churches. And, and I, I, I love to preach. I was kind of happy to do it, but I was working myself thin and running ragged. And I may have done better to preach, you know, twice a week and have a little more time to shepherd people. Mm -hmm. The next thing I would say is I do think the whole, the whole genre of, of mental health and of emotional health. Um, I, I think that a couple of things are happening simultaneously. One is there clearly is a, is a growing need for awareness. And I think a growing need for concern. Mm -hmm. And I think that is heightening the awareness. So, so what's happened is the average guy on my campus who's graduating and going to pastor church and he's 28 years old, I don't think the same omnipresent expectation is there. I don't think the same desire or the same expectation to preach three times a week is necessarily there. But I still think the expectations of ministries are such where it is still oftentimes a grueling challenge. Mm -hmm. And there is discouragement. There, there are emotional challenges. There is at times mental health issues. I think at the same time, we have to be intentional about, about, about normalizing that condition. Yeah. 
by that I mean to where to where pastors are comfortable reflecting on that and, and reaching out for help. So I'll give you a little example. Okay. I, I've been in a like sprint in recent weeks around here. I mean, my life is always busy, but from mid August to mid October every year, it's like the busiest two months of the year. Now the last two days I've kind of whined to a couple of colleagues a couple of different times like, guys, I'm just like, I'm poor out. I've been getting up about 4 a.m for the last several weeks. And I just mm-hmm. kind of made the comment because I mean, I'm just worried. I'm really looking forward to fall break when it gets here next week. Well, you know, we kind of chuckle about that. I wish the world was such that, that if I were feeling the same way with mental fatigue or emotional fatigue, that I would feel the same comfortability in like saying that very same thing to a colleague. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. Now I, I, this is not moral superiority. It's not, it's not emotional superiority. I'll just tell you, I'm 42 years old. I, I have never awakened a morning discouraged a day in my life. That's mm-hmm. just how God has wired me. I wake yeah. up sunny. I wake up energetic. I wake up ready to tackle my day. Uh, I may be tired. I may get irritable. I just have never been depressed. And look, yeah. that, that's not about me being a superior human being. That's just how God wired me. Yep. So I have limitations in my ability to, to understand and to full, fully empathize with those who aren't wired that way. Just like I can't fully identify with someone who's struggling with stage four cancer. I haven't experienced mm-hmm. But my analogy is that I, I, I want to be the type of institution that just as it's natural and, and casual, and I'm comfortable saying, man, guys, I just wore out. I need, I'm looking for a fall break. That if I were dealing with emotional fatigue or, mm-hmm. or mental, let's say, um, uh, mental health issues that I would feel comfortable saying that to colleagues. What is more, I want to be the type of institutional community that that students and faculty and staff they feel that same level of comfortability one way yeah. or the other. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. I, as you describe your experience, honestly, that's that's what I've experienced as well. I've never experienced depression. I wake up early in the morning, ready to go, and I'm just generally. You said how you're wired. How I'm wired is I'm generally happy. I'm just I'm just happy. See things on the positive side, and you know, God opened some doors for me to work with uh, and get a counseling center as a biblical counselor, working with several people who experience depression. And then I've worked with pastors who have experienced and walked in that. And it is foreign to my experience, but it is a reality. But what you're describing is interesting to me is that, you know, we're perpetually in this pendulum swing and we're in one ditch or the other in pastoral ministry, as if we kind of paint with really broad strokes, sacrificing family on the altar of ministry 50 years ago. Now the, the danger of ministry on the altar of family and it feels like we're walking the, walking the middle of the road just a little bit in our life. But mainly it seems like people are just always in ditches, you know, and sometimes yeah. we kind of get it right. But I, I think it's important even for pastors to understand people in our church don't get a construction appreciation month. They That's go to right. work and they work hard and they don't get told once a week, hey, you did great. You did a great job today. Yeah. You know, they're cursed at and expected to be there tomorrow and work hard again. And so right. that expectation, I think, is good emphasis, Dr. Allen. I'm glad you're doing that to say the pastor has to work hard. And there, yeah. this is not a, a life of leisure. Yeah. Um, certainly, there's times of rest and restoration. But it, just like everybody else in your church, life, six days you show work and you rest one day a week. And, and that's what God has called us to. Yeah, and I think, too, just to belabor this a touch, Jared, you know, even the sabbatical nomenclature. Again, I, I'm for sabbaticals. I'm for a, a, a weekly sabbatical. I'm for for seasons of pull away. I obviously facilitate those for faculty here and so forth. But but the average church member has real difficulty getting their mind around that. Absolutely. And even yeah. how we frame those and think of those and, and yep. why that can be a healthy interregnum. Um, you know, we need we need to be be intentional about how we speak of that. But but one other thing I'll say here to let you advance the conversation. You know, 
we as ministers and as societies and as churches, we can layer up ourselves expectations that can be very peculiar and that can be really binding. And so I'll give an example. Um, like I, I'm 42, my, my father and mother in their kind of early 70s. Well, like my dad, we talk about basketball. My dad played high school basketball. Okay. Uh, his father like never went to a game, like ever. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, just a handful of games in, in, over the years. He wasn't a bad dad. They had a fine rapport. You know, there was nothing out of sync there. Just the world in the 1960s where his dad punched a clock and they had a bunch of kids and there were like seven, six kids in the family. And mm-hmm. just there wasn't a cultural or familiar expectation that like parents get all the games. Okay. Right. And so my dad doesn't begrudge that. It's just, it's just that was different. Well, as I'm growing up as a kid playing games, like, well, my dad, you know, went to all my games. And, mm-hmm. and that was a desire of his. And kind of, there's also kind of like a cultural, you're a good dad if you go to the games, you're a bad dad if you yeah. don't go to the games. Mm-hmm. Well, then here I am now, and I have children, I have five children who I love, and I'm, I'm, I'm hands-on, and if I'm in town, I'm at every game, happily so. And you know what, I'm actually, like, I'm in town, I'm at kind of, you know, most every practice in the evenings. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this expectation, not not as stated, but almost like, you know what, to be a good dad, you're really, like, at the practice. You're, you're like, watching the practices. You're there. Right. And I just evolution, and I mean, this is unsustainable. And, and, and we layer up things to where – what exactly is an appropriate threshold of, of fatherly and motherly engagement? I mean, you know, I, mm-hmm. I get more done us with dad invitations and, and muffins with mom for my, my, my wife from school and, and all these things. And, yeah. and so I, I tell my wife, we, we kind of joke about it. I say, look, dear, I, if, if, you know, I can go to bed at night and one day I believe go to bed as, as my kids are adults feeling really good about our level of personal investment in them. From a time standpoint, I mean, I pray yeah, for them and, and you know, who knows how the Lord will lead them. And, and if some of them go wayward, that'll be a source of profound, obviously, regret and disappointment for me. But as far as like our time investment in them, I just can't mm-hmm. imagine like doing more or giving more. Right. And I refuse to live in any sense of guilt or like, well, if 10 years from now, someone is upon the Lord. Well, you know what? The reality is I just didn't go to enough basketball practices. Yeah, <laughs> I just I refuse to buy into that that, that mindset. Yeah. That's helpful. That's really helpful. And I think it gives a perspective that, I mean, to be quite honest, is not out there a whole lot right now. Because I think the the culture of millennial pastoring anyways, and younger men is that self-care, take care of yourself, rest, Sabbath, sabbatical, all this. As the people in the church are looking around talking about sabbatical, you know, like yeah. three months, you want to you go hang out for three months and go hiking or, you know, like, come on. Uh, so, but that delicate balance of that, there has to be time for, for rest and Sabbath and, uh, and family. And so I appreciate the, the, um, the, that perspective there. It's really, really helpful. Okay. So why do so many pastors, and maybe this is a, a something that is being course corrected a little bit, but why do so many pastors burn out? I've seen it. I've seen in our area, just anecdotal evidence. I've seen one pastor locally, finish ministry well with no moral failures with his wife still liking him with his kids still respecting him and he's still making disciples and no hidden moral failure somewhere i, I know one in my area mm. why, why do so many pastors burn out well i'm like you this is more observation than empirical research i think a lot of it gets into misplaced priorities and misplaced ambitions and some of it is if, if you want to minister in your 20s because you want to serve Christ and, and serve the church and you see your eternal reward, okay, that can be obviously not only a good 
true north, but, but the right and needed true north. If you're not careful, that strong ambition, you can almost run too hard in that direction and neglect family and neglect your health and, and wake mm -hmm. up in a place that, that's unhealthy. And you spend all your time preparing sermons, but never actually studying God's word for your own personal growth. So that's one way to kind of overrun the treadmill. Mm -hmm. But I think what often happens is kind of that true north gets deoriented, disoriented, and it becomes about, well, I'm working at this church, but man, I really want to just like save enough money to send my kids to college. Noble ambition. I really want to get enough, get ahead financially to retire early. Eh, less noble ambition. And so these priorities and these ambitions can get disoriented and misplaced that leads you just going down different roads altogether. So the one is you're so ambitious for the kingdom that you're not wise about how you steward that. And you're just running so fast that you kind of overrun the treadmill and get hurt. The other is you, you, you get unmoored and your true north gets disoriented and your ambitions are taking you down peculiar detours. Mm -hmm. And look, that's where I think you have people in your life who are who bring a, a healthy level of personal engagement and accountability. And I don't mean, you know, yeah. I'm not opposed to the traditional evangelical accountability group, but that's not really what I have in mind here. I just mean even colleagues who walk through life at, at similar stages of life. Mm -hmm. And I think, look, it's good to have the, the guy who's 20 years older than you that, that's investing in you. And sure, it's great to have the guy who's 20, 20 years younger than you that you can invest in. That's fine. But I, I've read before, and I think there's some wisdom in this, that, that in as much as, as you can kind of choose, you know, have a physician that's basically your age. Hmm. Uh, have a, a pastor that, that's similar to being your age, maybe a few years older. So mm -hmm. my, my personal physician, I didn't pick him because of his age, but I did note that he's just, just about five years older than I am. Okay. So it's just great to talk. So my point is, even in ministry, having people that, that are who you really respect, you admire, they're your general age, maybe a couple of few years older. So kind of, kind of your age or older brothers, there can be just really good brotherly conversation Yeah, and not just, you know, did you look at pornography last week, but, but also just as you talk through kind of ambitions and, mm -hmm. and fatigues and desires and kind of where you want to be in 10 years in ministry. I think that that that's healthy. And I, I use this analogy in the, it's for the church conference, which, which you noted you missed this year. Yep. Uh, Sorry. The, for, the, for the church conference preaching from John 15. And I talked about kind of ministry explosions and then the ministry implosions. We all know the, the, the ones that explode It's the scandal and it's some, it's like messy and there's carnage everywhere. Mm -hmm. But far more commonly and more concerned to me is just the subtle implosions where these guys, they don't flame out from ministry, but, but they're called to ministry just, just kind of withers away. You wake yeah. up one day, 12 years after you went to seminary and you are so far removed from ministry and from a, a healthy state of, of heart and mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's so helpful. One of the things that, that I'm doing with the shepherd's career, cause I'm doing one event a year. And I'm taking guys, and it's a lot of it is for camaraderie's sake and just building relationship with other guys that uh, are similar in age. There's not like an age cap or limited on it. You know, guys 41 can come. So sorry, Dr. Allen, the 42-year-olds are, are out there. But uh, we're doing a, a retreat down in Missouri to Jack's Fork River. And I'll give a little plug here for the Shepherd's Creek Intensive. We take a group of guys, and we do two days on the river. And last year was our inaugural event. And we camp out on the river uh, and spend two days canoeing and talking about pastoral ministry, life, uh, the the identity of the pastor, who is a pastor, and what does a pastor do? So identity and the work. And I work through these five callings and seven priorities. And it's great just to be able to talk to guys, a couple of them from different denominations. And it's just been a really, it's been a really good thing. But I think that's huge. Uh, uh, I'll even put some notes in the show notes about, hey, the encouragements to even get a position your own age, those sorts of things are, are re really helpful. So 
Thank yeah, you my that. doctor, my doctor, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, he, he's, he's become something of a friend. His daughter's a student at Spurgeon College. Okay. And every few times, I've, he's responsive to me. He knows I have a tight schedule, which is an added blessing. But every few times, I just called him and, and kind of said, you know, like, am I falling apart or is it, or is it, is it normal for my knees to be, my knee to be swollen at the age of 40? <laughs> <laughs> no, it just lies. It's totally, it just helps me in, in one sentence to put in context. No, that's yeah. totally normal to ignore. You know, or take two ibuprofen, that's fine. You know, right. I think it can be healthy spiritually to have people somewhere stage of life and ministry so good in a christian side very helpful okay uh if you could go back shoot hoops with yourself as a 25 year old man okay what what counsel would you give if you could just have a 10 minute conversation with yourself what, what would you tell yourself as a young man so you mean uh I want to try if you could go back right now yeah. and talk to yourself get in with doc and the time machine and go back and talk to yourself as a young man at, at 25 years old uh what would you, what kind of counsel would you give yourself as a 25 year old? You know, that's a very good question. So at the age of 25, I was pastoring my very first church. Thankfully that went very well. Uh, thankfully God's grace was there overcoming my, uh, youthfulness, my lack of experience. I will tell you this. I prayed very fervently that the Lord would give me a very healthy first church experience. Hmm. I know many guys that that first church is a bloodbath and that kind of forever makes them and their, their spouses jaded. Right. I didn't want yep. that for me or for my spouse. Mm -hmm. And God gave me a very good first church experience. I think what I would say to myself, and I was generally aware of this, but I would say this even louder to my, to, to myself is this. Uh, when you're 25 years old in ministry, like you, you don't have a bunch of degrees after your name. Mm -hmm. You don't have gray hair. You can't, say to a group of deacons or elders, you know, in my 35 years of ministry, I've experienced this and I think yeah. we should do this. You find yourself just having to talk yourself out of everything. And what I would say to myself then is be fanatically word centered. Okay. Because as long as the issue is the word, the authority is the word, the standard is the word, the answer to congregational questions is the word. It's not about whether you're 25 or 45 or 75. It's about the word. And so awesome. I think I would say to myself, be fanatically committed to being word centered in ministry and decision making and local church issues and how you preach and how you interact with people. Just keep pointing people back to the word. And if they're going to argue with you or if it's a true issue, that's a convictional issue that, that could be divisive. You know, don't let them fight with a 25 year old. Make them have to fight with the word. Fantastic. That's so good. Most of my listeners are younger men. Uh, some seminarians and some guys that have been in ministry just for a few years. So that is absolutely huge. Thank you. Perfect. All right. Last question. Dr. Allen, why do you love Jesus so much? I love Jesus because he saved me and I've never gotten over it. Um, I heard the gospel many times, a zillion times, but I heard it one Sunday, like never before the Lord worked in my heart. Spirit had been convicting me, drawing me for some time. I repented my sins, and and it 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 was a a true Pilgrim's Progress moment when like the burden of sin was lifted, and to see just what Christ has done. And I don't mean like success and how I've accomplished it as a center president. I just mean my wife and I we lay in bed talk about all the time that, that look what God has given us through the grace of Christ. And where would I be without Christ? Uh, what would I be doing? My ambitions, my life. What 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 would I be driven towards? What would our family be? Where would my eternity be, be, be heading towards? And so I mean, he has actually forgiven me. He's actually set me apart to ministry. And he's been really pleased in spite of my fallenness, in spite of my frailties, to actually bless the ministries he's entrusted to me. And so to me, it's like, why do you love your wife? Well, because of like everything she is and isn't in the total package, it's that way with Christ. I mean, there, there is no, no discernible reason not to be in love with him based upon all he's done for me.
Amen. That's so good. Hey, give a plug for Midwestern. If there's any anybody interested in praying through going to seminary, give a plug for Spurgeon College and for Midwestern Theological Seminary. Yeah, thank you. I, I would say this. Um, I'm not going to give a big plug here, but God's doing a special work here. We've reflected on it here, the enrollment growth, quality of the faculty, beautiful campus, Kansas City, phenomenal place. And there's just a vibe here that's sweet and godly and healthy and cheerful. If you're interested um, in seminary, please email me, president at mbts.edu, president at mbts.edu. And that'll come to the president's office here. And if you got a question about ministry, I'll be happy to send you a complimentary copy of my book, Discern Your Call to Ministry with Moody, question about applying to the seminary. I'll be glad to connect you to our missions office. And um, we're running, I think there's even kind of a promo going right now with a WAVE application fee. So um, there, there are thankfully other good seminaries out there that you can go to and, and the other seminary presidents I have a lot of uh, belief in and, and a great friendships with. And so we're not, I'm not suggesting we're offering a superior product. I am suggesting we're offering a special one. And the Lord has been really good here in doing a special work. And I would encourage all to explore that. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Allen, thanks so much for coming on the show. You bet. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.